Welcome to Making Bank, the show for Bankless DAO by Bankless DAO, where each week we highlight a project and a personality from inside the Bankless DAO. We want to showcase the work that we do and the people who do it. This is our story as we journey to become more bankless. If you want to learn more about what it is that we do, then just keep listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode of Making Bank. Hi, I'm Drost, and welcome to another episode of Making Bank. Today I'll be chatting with publisher and Hero Canelli. Am I pronouncing your name right, Hero? Yes, sir. All right. And uh, both publisher and Hero have been with the Bankless DAO almost since the beginning. What we're going to be talking about today is the Writers Guild, Good Morning News, and a variety of fun things like that. Welcome, publisher. Welcome, Hero. Happy to be here. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having us. Likewise. Thank you, Drost. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Hey, I uh, have only caught a couple of episodes of GMN, and we'll get to GMN in just a moment. But maybe we could start by just a brief introduction to both of you. Maybe we can start with Hero, since you've been here a little bit longer, and then we'll shift over to you, publisher. So Hero, tell me about uh, your joining the Bankless DAO and, and just a little bit there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I've been interested in, in crypto really since Bitcoin came along, but like many people didn't you know, really fully consider the implications of it until later. Uh, for me, I was deeply involved in other work and I would pay attention to it on the sidelines. But at some point it became really evident that this was the future. And um, I was fortunate enough to stop uh, what I was doing professionally that was taking a lot of my time. That was lawyering and got into a place where I could write for a living for a bit. And during that time, it allowed me to open up my horizons and really dive into crypto. And so I got into it around DeFi summer in 2020, and subscribed to the Bankless HQ newsletter shortly thereafter, was fortunate enough to participate in the airdrop last May, about a year ago, lurked for a couple of months and, um, and popped up. And I remember it was 3am in the morning, my time, and I was a little bit anxious. And I dropped a message in the Writers Guild and Legal Guild channels and said, hey, I'm here, how can I help? And shortly thereafter, you're off to the races. Uh, in the Legal Guild, I started coordinating and shipping decentralized law from its first issue, and then started contributing in the Writers Guild, just writing and editing. And then in, when season three began, took over coordinating the weekly roll-up and helped ship things out for our editorial and publishing arm. And these days, I feel like I have my hands in everything. It in sounds like it. <laughs> you know, in terms of writing, it seems like I do. And, you know, I also got deeply involved in Dow Punks last fall before the Mint and have um, still pretty deeply involved over there. And then in November, when Publisher built the GMN protocol, Good Morning News, which is a daily on-chain newspaper, um, I've been there since day one as well. And so between Bankless Dow, Dow Punks, and GMN, I am full-time and then some, <laughs> and I've never been happier, more fulfilled, or more intellectually curious and motivated in my life. I'm in love with what I do in this space every day and the people within it and couldn't feel more pleased with what we're doing here and what we're building for the future. So that's the short intro, and I look forward to what publisher has to say. <laughs> well, that's a great intro, Hero. Thank you. really appreciate that. Yeah, it's easy to get plugged into a lot of things. And, and man, you're actually shipping too. It's not just that you're visiting these places and looking around and saying hi. You're actually shipping shipping articles, shipping content everywhere and coordinating too. It's pretty pretty incredible. Um, great, thank you. And publisher, what about you? Give us, uh, give us your two. Wait, how, how do I follow that up? My goodness, here I am. Heck of an intro, bud. Um, so... My journey into crypto, a little different than Heroes. Uh, I come from the news industry and spent the last decade in the, running a local TV station here in my little town in Kansas. Uh, pandemic hit. 
things got real dark here. Um, led the uh, production team at that television station through those times. Left the television station after we got through 2020. Uh, really fell down the crypto rabbit hole after leaving the TV station in really January 21, right? I think that was probably my biggest fall down the hole around that time. Um, and from there... What really piqued my interest wasn't the speculation. It wasn't even necessarily the technology at that time. It was really more of a creative outlet for me. My background's in graphic design. That's what my, my degree says anyway. Um, so for me, after spending a decade in the news industry, I think I was really looking for a creative outlet. And boy, fighting NFTs and discovering that whole world and realizing what that meant for graphic designers. And, you know, for me, just the basic uh, copyright, being able to... Uh, Attribute some ownership to digital art. That was really a huge breakthrough, a huge unlock for me because before, as a graphic designer, you were just giving your work away for free, right? And hoping that uh, you would build some sort of following. And, you know, crypto's changed all that. So that was really the big eye opening moment for me was discovering this new creative outlet. And from there, it was really a journey of, okay, how can I combine this world of art and crypto, right? The, these smart contracts that everyone was talking so much about. So that was really the beginning of what would end up being about a year-long adventure of learning Solidity, understanding everything I could about the Ethereum virtual machine, understanding smart contracts, and then learning how to build front ends for this stuff, which ended up being a far bigger task than uh, just learning Solidity itself. So wait a minute, publisher. You're, you're a guy who ran a TV station, and you have a background in art, and yet I hear you're writing Solidity code. What? Yes, it's it's a heck of a leap. I know. Singular focus. Let me try to connect some dots here. So I actually started at the TV station as a graphic Ooh. designer. I was doing all the graphics. For the well, that makes sense, cast, right? All the all the fancy graphics you'd see. And then, you know, after a decade in this small town that I live in, it wasn't really hard to rise to the top and run in the production department there. So it was really one thing led to another. Ended up running this this production department after some time. And, you know, as fun as it was being in the news industry and as much as I love it, you know, when you're in a management role, you're, you're no longer creative, right? It just, it it saps the creativity right no out kidding. of you because you're dealing with all this managerial crap that, that just sucks, right? Unless you love that. So, I mean, yeah, there are after, people that love that and <laughs> God bless them. After a decade of that garbage, I, you know, crypto really became this, for me, just kind of this, this, at the time, it felt like this one kind of opportunity to maybe do something in my life that would make me happy, you know, because even though I was happy doing graphics in the beginning at the news station, over time, it just became a job, right? Where you eventually you'd wake up and go, damn it, I don't want to, I don't want to go do this. Yeah, you get that feeling. It's a physical sensation when you don't like your job. <laughs> you wake up in the morning and, you know, it and it's like, am I hungry? No, I'm nauseous. That's it. That's it. And when you're nauseous waking up in the morning on a work day and you're not sick, <laughs> you know that it has something to do with the job, you know, most gross. likely. And it's just so true, you know? And um, I mean, the allegory, I mean, not an allegory, the analogy I use a lot is, you know, I'd wake up uh, and open up Microsoft Outlook of all the programs, right? And, um, and I would dread it. I'd be like, oh God, what do I got to do today, right? Uh, and you're looking at these emails going, oh, clients need things, angry lawyers, blah, blah, blah. And you're going, ah. And it gets to be a little soul crushing unless you're one of those people that really deeply love it. And I wasn't. Um, whereas these days, I'll wake up, 
I'll open up Discord. And I'm just like, what do I get to do today? I mean, it really is such a different mind shift. And I'm, and I'm still surprised that even after you know, eight or nine months of long days, more or less every day, that I still feel that way. I mean, some days do feel a little bit more like work. Um, but most days really do feel more like play. And, and I don't think there's any other space that I'm aware of where that, that happens for a lot of people that I meet on this journey, right? I know a lot of people love their jobs, but I've never met such a diverse group of people who are just so happy to do this work. Yeah, I found that too. It brings together a lot of different disciplines and all the skills and perspectives and, and regions of the world and bringing that all together and making something of it. And I, I think we're still finding our way. I don't think anybody will, will sugarcoat that and say, you know, oh no, we know exactly what we're doing. Um, we don't. And we're all exploring the space and seeing if we can develop some new paradigms that work, right? Uh, some paradigms uh, that we're trying out haven't worked <laughs> as we've discovered. But um, getting back to the creativity and the outlet, um, that kind of is a natural segue to what both of you are working on. And that uh, among other things, is Good Morning News. Uh, you mentioned it a bit uh, before. And the publisher can talk more about the technology behind it. But essentially, we publish um, every day uh, using um, fancy smart contract magic where we update the metadata uh, to these NFTs that serve as subscriptions on Polygon. So it is truly on-chain news. What do you think, Pub? Yeah, for sure. I guess the best way to describe these contracts is, I mean, they're dynamic, right? These things are updating every day. Um, and they have their own contracts, which is pretty special too, which, you know, to Hero's point, puts everything directly on chain. It's just a different way of distribution. That, that's something you hear me talk a lot about. We've got a lot of ways to distribute information, right? We've got the web, the old web two ways of doing things, and we've got this fancy new web three way of doing things. One of those ways is far simpler to use and interact with, right? And the other one is strictly for the DJs. You've got to really, uh, one, you got to know how to hook up a MetaMask, right? If you don't know how to do that, then you're never getting our, our publication. So there, there are some barriers to it. And it's everything about GMN is certainly experimental and always has been. Um, but I do think we're breaking new ground. And I do think that as the technology catches up with us, Web3 publishing will be the only way to publish. I, I think we will look back on this whole Web2 way of doing things and just laugh a year from now, right? Because much like the graphic design world, you're giving a lot of your, your stuff away for free in hopes that you just drive attention to your website for ad revenue or whatever the business model is. This new way of publishing changes all that. Web3 publishing directly on chain gives the power directly to the writer. For example, right? I think that was always the dream of Good Morning News from the very beginning was that any writer anywhere in the world can submit their works to this protocol and have it published on chain, which comes with all the benefits of being on chain, right? Censorship resistant, immutable, all of that. It, it's a better version of WikiLeaks if we want to get right down to it. I will ramble on for, for hours. Somebody cut Let me give you a bit of background on this thing. Um, I met Publisher over in the Dow Punk server where I knew him as. I'll say a graphic designer. He was making some emojis for us and they were very cool. And he and I started chatting in the background. And then, you know, one morning in the middle of November last year, he goes, Hey, guess what I made last night? And all of a sudden there was an on-chain news protocol built in six hours of manic Savanti programming. And, and it's, it's so different, right? Because it allows us, so what we do there, just to, just to kind of give us some more background for our listeners, is that 
you know, we publish a daily story that is chosen by our subscribers. These days we do that through Snapshot. And so we have people that curate stories, post them in our Discord, the community votes on them. And then whichever one gets chosen, and some of these come from news aggregators, some of them are original stories written by our authors, whichever one gets voted on by the community, it would be a snapshot, is the article that gets written up. And then we have these days a stable of writers who hustle pretty hard to grab the story and then write it. We pay with a native token that we have called paper, and we do editing and we do a voiceover of the story as well. And... I'll tell you, we are 182 issues in publishers, so just about a half year on the dot, it seems. And, yep, we published 181. It's amazing, actually. I, mean, I six, had no idea you would put out so many episodes. It's just a, it's a daily, it's a daily deal. And some days those days are really easy. A lot of days they're a little longer and they take a little bit of work. I'm a newsy too. Like I never worked in the studio like publisher, but I'm a long time news consumer, shall we say. I remember being an 11-year-old reading the local paper in my hometown of Washington State. And I don't think I ever stopped reading the paper. And so like for me, it was just an immediate attraction. And then when I saw what publisher had done with this technology, I was like, Whoa. So we bill ourselves as the world's first decentralized news organization. And as far as I can tell, that's an incredibly true statement. And so, yeah, we're 182 issues in as of tonight. And, uh, you know, there's no stopping us. And we'll keep on working and, and people keep on showing up and contributing. And we have more and more. We're at the point now where we're, at least in terms of contribution, pretty well decentralized. For the first couple of months, it was me and publisher and CrewCat and a guy named C00K in the server who were just cranking out stories and editing every day. And now we have writers from across the world who show up and fight for stories and they write them and we edit them and we do a voiceover and we ship them. And, and it's really pretty phenomenal. We thought it would take 163 issues to gain some traction. And that's proven to be pretty accurate. And now we're just wondering how long can we do this for? And maybe the answer is forever. It's a passion project, but it's, it's also sort of the future today. The idea that anybody can create and you own the content that's super key but i'm thinking about the production side of things you know i'm in this space too obviously we're we're trying out new things i've never done podcasting before in my life prior to the next the last few months i've been listening to podcasts for years and had in the back of my head oh wouldn't that be fun but it's like what are you going to talk about who's your audience um how are you going to learn the audio engineering all the components that you need to put that together and then the other piece is to maintain that cadence on a regular basis and publisher you having run a tv station you know what i'm talking about trying to put out content on a daily basis and have it fresh and well edited and well produced and do that day after day after day can really be a grind and so this way of doing it in a decentralized way letting stories bubble up letting having as many people involved as want to be and then it's not so much of a burden on any one individual. It's very well said. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, my friend. I really do. It, uh, one of the ideas with this was, you know, and this is something I say a lot too, is we try to be as low impact as possible. And how we achieve that is through decentralization, right? The more I can decentralize these little tasks out, the less that I and Hero have to do at the end of the day, which in turn, you know, gives us this, this whole decentralization thing anyway. So it's interesting how it's all working. It all started as an experiment, right? And um, so far, it's been pretty successful. Um, I'm glad you brought up 
a minute ago, the broadcasting side of things, because as far as like your podcast goes, for example, we do have another product that, that I've been experimenting with that we call GMN TV. And it's, an, it's a whole nother smart contract separate from our publication, but does the exact same thing for audio and video that we do for our written product. So the, the real launch of that thing was when Joe Biden actually did a whole address to the United States. We live streamed that directly through the NFT on chain. It was one of the most magical things that I personally have ever accomplished. Um, I will never forget pulling up OpenSea and seeing the, uh, the live stream of the president's address to the nation. And that was right at the, uh, the invasion of Ukraine wow. um, is what that address was. So pretty groundbreaking moment for me and what that unlock really meant, right? Because now I'm starting to have visions of running an entire news station directly on chain. Now that I've gone down the creative rabbit hole, I find myself com coming full circle back to, you know, where I began, you know, my news roots, trying to bring that entire industry that I know and love, drag that thing kicking and screaming into this new Web3 blockchain world. And sometimes I feel like these incumbent you know, corporations don't really know what their business is. I mean, two of the, my favorite sort of thoughts on this is one, like, I mean, Kodak thought that they were a film processing company, right? But they had, and they could have built a digital camera, but they didn't. And now they're essentially out of business, except for some money they got from the government a while ago, I think, to make COVID vaccines or something. And think about your old phone books, right? I mean, the white and the yellow pages. You know, why is that, you know, why aren't they Google, right? They didn't realize that their their business was information. They thought it was phone numbers and advertising, right? And, and so I think that you're so spot on about these incumbents who get entrenched into their ways of thinking and they don't understand where the world's heading and they don't really get how to monetize it. So they almost bury their heads in the sand and pretend that they're going to be okay so long as they keep on doing what they do. And to get what the publisher's saying, at some point, you're not going to have broadcast television as we know it. Um, I am still under the belief that everything gets on chain at some point, including news broadcasts. And that we subscribe to news channels on chain, you know, like we do these days to a la carte streaming services. But the incentives are different. They pay us to watch, right? Rather than something else. And so we're just at the, you know, we're at the freaking vanguard of this stuff and it's beyond exciting. And so the idea of putting a news station on chain, I mean, how can that not be the coolest thing ever? Just in the short amount of time that we've been doing this, you know, we started in November of last year. And, you know, just how far the technology has come in that short amount of time has boggled even my mind, right? We started as just a single JPEG on OpenSea, and now we've got this entire real, you know, sort of ebook Kindle experience going on with these things. And that, hell, that's just in six months. Imagine where we're going to be in another six months, right? You can see the wallets are beginning to catch up with the uh, NFT viewing experience. And I think that's really the, the key unlock for this this entire on-chain publishing um, industry, right, is going to be when we achieve a level of viewability that is akin to the old Web 2 experience. And, there. and what, Quicker what than we when think. I start thinking about it, too, with the idea of why do you bring it on-chain? Okay, fine, because you can. Well, no, it's, it's beyond that. So it makes me think also about credible sources of information. And if you're, I'm trying to... I think through this, but I'm almost thinking of oracles that are built into the contract too. So the, the off-chain or the, the external oracle would somehow evaluate whether it's the original story or the authentic story or, for example, when there's deep fakes happening now and, and words being put in people's mouths and then an AI generates a face. and it, you, I mean, it's going to get so good, you won't be able to tell reality from a creation. 
and to me, immutability and verifiable data and all that is going to become even more critical. The more sophisticated those I things become. And we're already seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's actually one of the biggest challenges we face, I think. Um, well, maybe not the biggest challenges, but it's certainly a challenge we face at GMN is, is disseminating whether or not the information we're putting out is accurate, right? That's something we have to take into account every single night. And it does. It gets more and more difficult every day. I, I mean, at the height of the Ukraine um, shenanigans, it was very difficult to disseminate whether something was misinformation or propaganda or factual. Um, and I think. For that, at, the, at least at this moment in time, I think that still requires a bit of a human element in there, a human to at least come in and say, yeah, we're going to give this a thumbs up or a thumbs down. We try to um, eliminate it. You know, at least my goal anyway is, is to try and eliminate as much of that as possible. But until we have you know, more sophisticated AI and that sort of thing, I, I think we still need that human element there to, to act as a fact check. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we're not there yet. I can see that, you know, down the road, that that will become more important. Absolutely. And I, you know, I love the idea of using something like a chain link Oracle to, uh, to go out and actually uh, crawl the web for, for these news stories. I think that's a super cool idea. It's almost like uh, block proposals. You uh, source a number of the stories and you're like, okay, well, how many of the stories are reporting the same information? And which is, which are the anomalies? It's like, okay, this block or this news story is the inaccurate one because it does not, you know what I mean? That it, Absolutely. Uh, but then you could have a civil attack where the fake or the false information is being disseminated on a higher volume of outlets or whatever. And then it, it would appear to the system that the false information is the correct information just because there's more of it. It's very strange how these mechanisms, these adversarial mechanisms, um, can really wreak havoc. <laughs> if it can be attacked, yeah, it will be attacked, absolutely. right? Um, but I mean, what, what does it destroy gets uh, hardened, right? That's true. You know, we're getting so much information fed to us from different sources um, about this Terra incident, right? And some of us are getting our news on Twitter. Some of us are surfing through the aggregators. Some of us are staring at the blockchain and trying to understand what's going on. And to your point about oracles, we're not there yet, but imagine a time, right? Where we can source and validate the validity of news stories based upon algorithms and oracles. And it's going to help us as these technologies develop that allow for deep fakes and other kind of shenanigans to use a publisher term. What a great world where we can use advanced technologies to get to the truth of the matter, which I think is one of the really brilliant possibilities that the blockchain provides. Well, yeah, and and it also concerns me that we we're talking about how we've all reacted to the news. You know, we, we get some of our news from Twitter. I was searching stuff when I woke up the other morning. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. I, I was looking at one of the first things I do when I wake up in the morning is I look at CoinGecko. And my jaw dropped. I've seen crazy things happen overnight, but it's like I had to process it somehow. And I thankfully did not, I was not hugely impacted, but it, you know, it did impact me a, a little bit because I, I did have some assets in there in that. And I've talked about Terra UST before and not in necessarily in these like a podcast or anything, but I've talked about it in channels. And I'm like, hey, love that anchor 20% return. And we all knew that wasn't sustainable. In fact, I was talking to somebody about it and saying, yeah, you know, the 20% can't sustain, but even if they weren't basically subsidizing, uh, attracting liquidity, 
even if they didn't do that, it would still be a better return than you're getting in your bank. You know, and it, it seemed like a reasonable thesis to me until the whole thing broke. And I'm not knowledgeable or sophisticated enough to understand the the level of complexity behind all of this. I'll tell you, I I had personally been, yeah, I had been joking with Hero a couple of days leading up to all of it that, that Terra equals zero. That was kind of my joke that I was hounding him with. But my goodness, even I was caught off guard by just how fast it happened, right? I in my wildest dreams I didn't expect it to blow up that quick. That was uh that was terrifying. And even more terrifying has been the Luna token itself, right? Um yeah. wow. I had just recorded, and well, actually we just released the episode um, last night. Um, uh, speaking of putting something out as quickly as you can, I put that episode together myself, so I apologize if, to anyone listening if the audio levels aren't exactly the way you'd like them, because I did it myself. Uh, but, you know, it's a learning process. But anyway, getting back to the point, which was I had interviewed Comeback Kid, who is with the Legal Guild and contributes to the Decentralized Law Newsletter. And we talked about the accredited investor rules in the U.S. and the purpose of it in the first place and how it's, the idea of it has gotten corrupted. But it does remind you that there are reasons that, you know, characterize it how you want. Regulations are not necessarily bad. They can be written poorly, and that's why stakeholders need to make sure that they communicate clearly what their concerns and issues are. Lobbying is a bad word because it became this corrupted thing. And so I think part of what's going on with crypto and Web3 is that the narrative is not accurate. There's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt in there, some of it being promoted by, like we talked about, the incumbents. But there's also just a lot of, quite honestly, ignorance. I wouldn't expect a senator that has spent his life in, in let's say, a lot of my attorneys, so let's say an attorney, I would not expect them to understand how a um, development uh, environment works, what a smart contract is. I mean, that would be silly to expect that. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here a bit. No, it's a good tangent. I mean, it's actually really important, you know. I mean, the last issue of Decentralized Law that we shipped, and just to give a quick shout out to Comeback Kid, who's a great human, was I think the title of the newsletter that we put out was Regulatory Certainty and the Rule of Law, right? We write about regulations all the time in Decentralized Law. And in publisher knows that writing about regulations at GMN is one of my passions. <laughs> so I actually think regulations are important. I think that the issues are stemming from Terra is going to be we're going to you know create overly broad, overly hostile regulations, and I think that part of that's on purpose. But also the idea that you know senators or you know legislators or people at the SEC or the CFTC shouldn't be aware of what we're doing and get a pass for it. I don't know. I think part of it is that people in the industry don't have the access that people in other industries have. I think that part of it is that the ears are just kind of deaf. But you know, ultimately, if we I think we take a realistic lens about what the world looks like and how it's going to look going forward. I mean, crypto is going to be a regulated environment and you're always going to have decentralized applications that are so decentralized that they are maybe immune to these regulations, right? But, and you're going to, you're going to certainly have what I call regulatory arbitrage where you have projects and people, uh, builders go and incorporate their projects in places that are crypto friendly. But you know, the long arm of the law stretches transnationally these days, and it doesn't take much for for certain regulators in various countries to hit various buttons to attempt to affect chain how they like it. So 
I'm actually of the opinion that we should probably embrace regulatory frameworks to the best that we can and build within those if we really want this crypto uh, world that we love to to really meet what I call fiat space head on, right? We talk a lot about mass adoption so far away from that. And I think we forget in our crypto bubbles just how unusual the work that we're doing is. Um, I mean, people that don't spend their lives in DAOs like we do don't understand that nobody really talks about numbers. No one talks about number up. We are concerned about the price of tokens to some extent, but that's more from my perspective as someone who coordinates a lot of things. I just want to make sure that we're going to have contributors who compensated enough to continue to show up and do the work. And and so far, we're okay because a lot of these folks have other jobs or they love the work so much that they're okay, you know, not being, you know, compensated, you know, really well for the work that they do. But geez, if we're going to take this amazing technology they're working on and these new incentive structures that we're trying to create and these new ways of organizing humanity and then bring them out to the wild and scale them, I mean, we want to get it figured out. And I think we want a little bit of regulation along the way. So I don't know, I might be a contrarian in that regard, but I think that the Wild West is a bad analogy. I think that we're not early. Uh, and so we need to treat this as we treat any other new industries and work really hard to try to create products that people can use and want to use going forward. And so, I mean, I'll be the, I mean, I also like to say that 99% of crypto is a scam. And I totally believe that. But the 1% that's not is the part that's going to change the world. And so let's focus on that part and let's regulate that part and let's bring it to the world and change that too. So that's my little crypto rant. But I think it's important to provide maybe that kind of framework for folks as well. It's not all about, you know, it's important that the blockchain is immutable and decentralized and permissionless, but participation by normal humans who are just like trying to get through their days, it's a different world, you know? And um, when they read about terror exploding or rug pulls or exploits or whatever. I mean, who's going to want to jump in on that? They're like, the FDIC in America secures my bank account. You know, what? how's my crypto secured? Uh, and the fact is it's not, right? And so part of what we do at Bankless is educate people. And I think we need to educate people in, in a way that's legitimate and not wishful thinking. That's true. That's true. Yes, I agree. I feel, I, I, I think we're experiencing it. And I don't think I'm overstating it, that this is, could be a watershed uh, moment in a, in a couple of ways. One is, again, people, a lot of people have come into the crypto space in the last year, me being one of them. So those that were in prior to that, and they had experienced the, the ICO situation in 2017 and that whole situation where people lost a lot of money through these scam projects and fake tokens and based all based on some white paper and nothing behind it. And I missed all that. I was off in Costa Rica exploring the rainforest and staying away from the U.S. for a little while. I had no idea of any of that. I mean, I was talking about living under a rock. I had absolutely no idea any of that stuff. It wasn't on my radar at all. Anyway, so I came in last year, and I've talked a little bit in some of our meetings, community calls, maybe amphitheater afterward and the, in the, the after party on Fridays. And I've made comments about, be careful, don't leverage. I know that the rewards can be outsized if things go well. But if you're leveraging, if you're borrowing to, and I've done a little bit of it myself, not a whole lot. I did a little bit on the Terra Luna situation, but uh, thankfully it didn't destroy me. But as far as people that, for example, take out additional money on their home equity line of credit or something, or take out a second mortgage and put that into DeFi, thinking that they're going to do a rinse and repeat cycle and take the money out, and pay off their mortgage in a couple of months. On its surface, if you just if you just talk through that, 
the natural response is, well, that's crazy. <laughs> to a normie, that's crazy. There's no way you can do that. Where's, where's the money coming from? Where's the return coming from? There's, where is that? It's, you know, and if you start asking those hard questions, the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> and so I think one of the dangerous things that has happened and is happening in crypto and Web3 is it's not just an evolution of computing technology and a new paradigm in that respect. Money is tied to it, and the idea that you can have programmable money and it's code and, and humans write code, code breaks, and if a word processor, for example, crashes when you add a new section, it's like, oops, I lost a document. Well, that sucks. Well, <laughs> it's not a big deal. You shrug your shoulders and go, oh, well, we'll fix it in the next release. And it was never an issue, really. But you don't lose millions of dollars or your life savings by, making a by using a software product that has bugs in it. And I think that's the difference that people really need to be aware of. Yeah, the technology is fun and interesting. And, and I think if you're interested in that side, maybe spending more time understanding the mechanics of it and how those things work rather than FOMOing in with limited assets trying to, quote, make it big overnight. I think that's the risk and that's the big danger and how people that really can't afford to make these mistakes are getting destroyed in this space. And it's never going to get to wide adoption if that keeps happening. You know, one thing I've learned being a builder in this space is there's always a bigger fish out there, right? You know, when, when I build these smart contracts, as much faith as I have in my own code, as much as I deeply believe that these things are, you know, completely safe, right? Completely impenetrable. I know that there is somebody out there smarter than myself that could potentially find some way that I didn't think of to exploit my work, right? And that's, that's something I think that every builder in Web3 needs to be aware of and needs to be humbled by, right? There is a lot of due diligence that needs to be done by a developer who's deploying smart contracts long before they get to a billion dollars in TBL, right? The, that due diligence should have been done, should have been stress test. You know, and a great example of that, to bring it back to GMN, is we were deployed on Polygon, right? Because we know that this thing is fully experimental. And if we're on Polygon, we know that, you know, the stakes are lower there. Um, we know that we can afford to make some mistakes there and our community won't lose their shirts over it, right? Because they don't have that much skin in the game. But we do. We, we have actually, since inception, we actually have launched a product on mainnet that I personally feel is 100% ready to go, ready for production, right? Ready to ship um, and is fully safe. But it took us a long time to get there. I mean, we didn't launch this product until, what, about a month ago? Um, yeah, we're on issue four now for the weekly way. So literally a month ago, it took us five months to get to a point where I personally felt that my work was secure and safe enough to have, you know, that amount of locked value in it. Right. If that makes yeah. sense. I mean, people always want things yesterday and it's a fast moving space. Mm -hmm. But when you're trying to write solid code or whatever it is you're trying to do, it's a hardened process that's repeatable and can't be exploited. And you have to take time doing that. And I think we're learning that real time. <laughs> um, we, we are learning what happens when that process is rushed. Yeah. Even, even when it's not rushed, right? Even with some audited contracts, this stuff happens. I mean, one of the things that we write about a lot over at Good Morning News uh, are so-called defoy, <laughs> decoy, decoy, <laughs> decoy, decoy, 
exploits. You know, which when I'm writing and editing, I make great pains to make sure that I call them theft. Because part of the issue is we do, we use language. The language defines our world, right? And we talk about things like code is law. And so if you can exploit the code, you're not- Or I've, I've been right. Yeah, or, yeah, or I've been right. Right. No, somebody stole right. money from and, you. That's right. They stole your money. You weren't exploit. You know, they didn't exploit the DeFi protocol. They stole money out of it. And the people who are in the code is law camp and the code is law camp essentially says, well, you know, the code controls. And so if I'm allowed to go to that world and use a mechanism to work around the code, because the, the code is the code, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm taking, I'm just using the contract as it's there, right? I didn't write the contract. I'm just using what's there to get into it and take what I want from it. And that's where the exploit comes in because you're exploiting the, the vulnerabilities in the contract for personal gain. But that's just straight theft by any term, but we don't call it that because part of it is we have this illusion in DeFi that it's a self-regulatory space and that these incumbents, these OGs work really hard to protect themselves, uh, but they really work really hard to protect their image. And that's to the detriment of people who use the protocols every day. You know, think about the wormhole exploit, 620 million. And where does that money go? You, you know, I mean, it goes to somebody's pocket. Maybe there's a white hat bounty for 10%. In that case, you had the VC backers who came in and filled the coffers. And I understand, I think, repaid the users for the loss. But, you know, there are plenty of protocols who get hacked, funds stolen from, and the user just out, right? And so we can talk about the devastation of Terra and it's been downright terrible. I mean, I used, I still hold some Luna that's now worth, you know, 30 cents um, <laughs> instead of a hundred, but that's just part of the deal of being in this new space. But at the same time, it's different, right? I would argue maybe that this Terra is a coordinated attack, but you know, it's different than an exploit, which is just a hacker getting in there, causing some chaos, stealing some friends, trying to rush it through a mixer before it can be traced and then walking away. So I think it's important as we grow as an industry that we use better language, that we define what we're doing accurately, and we don't try to use terms that obfuscate the true nature of what happens. I think that does a disservice to us, and it's also going to limit our growth. Because the goal, of course, guys, is that that people use us every day, that at some point, the wallets are so integrated uh, with our phones and in our lives that we're, we don't even think about it, right? Whether that's decentralized identity or banking, the interface is going to become seamless. And But for that to happen and for people to use it every day, to unlock my house with my decentralized identity, well, I got to make sure that's secure, right? And so you can be like Pub, who pressure tests this thing for five months before you deploy it on, on mainnet, protocols who get a couple of smart contract audits. But the bottom line is that until we start telling ourselves the truth about what happens, these things will continue to occur. And even then they still will. But I think if we use better language, then they'll occur less often. Agreed. Well said. Hey, we've been talking for a while now, and I think we have a pretty good episode that we can uh, put out here. I could talk with you guys all day. Man, there, I have a list of topics <laughs> right you, now Justin, that I would just love to dig into, but we don't have the time uh, right now, and I always leave them wanting more, I, as is the mantra. Are there any either closing thoughts or specifically if People are excited by what you guys are doing with Good Morning News or any of the things we've talked about. What are the best ways uh, to get involved with that? And I assume both of you are on Twitter and other socials if you'd like to. We'll obviously put these things in the show notes, but if there's a TLDR and the best way for folks to to either, if A, they want to get involved with Good Morning News or B, um, just check out the publication and, and load it up on OpenSea and, and check out the fresh news every day or LuxRare or whatever platform you use. 
Yeah. Well, the great thing about our product is that it's an ERC 721. So whatever marketplace you decide to use, you know where you can go to Luxrare if you want. You, you'll see your NFT there. Um, that, that's kind of the, the beauty of not minting on top of uh, a platform itself. But that's a conversation for a whole different day, my friend. I was going to tell you in the beginning, you're going to need more than an hour to talk to me in here a week. We, uh, we tend to ramble on. Oh, for I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I, <laughs> and the only reason I'm watching time is because I got to edit the thing. <laughs> and then we have to put an episode out that people will listen to. So if it goes on for hours, I'm not Lex Friedman, so, or Fridman. So I, I can't do a five hour interview with Charles Hoskinson. <laughs> I, you know, I would say, um, absolutely. You can come to the GMN server. You can come and participate. That's great. Um, but there's one other thing happening we haven't talked about. I want to touch on it for like two seconds, which is that GMN is launching a PFP project. And part of this PFP project is going to fund operations at GMN. But part of it in the contract splitter has 10% of all mint proceeds going to Bankless DAO and 10% of all mint proceeds going to the Writers Guild multi-sig. And so one way that you can come over and support GMN is to make yourself a newsie. And you'll see more information throughout the DAO about these kinds of things. But uh, yeah, come in a PFP, come write for us, come do voiceovers. There's a lot of ways to get involved at GMN. And we welcome all comers. And honestly, we welcome people of all skill levels. And so we have experienced writers, we have very new writers, and there's a home for you there, regardless of your expertise. And so we just encourage you to join our server, come say hi, get a subscription and we'll even give you a free subscription if you can't afford the 11 Matic and, um, and come get to work. We'd love to see you there. Outstanding. Well said hero. I just want to add one more thing to, to our fantastic little newsies that we're doing. Yes, this is a PFP project. I have been very reluctant in my, uh, my blockchain career to do a PFP project, but here we are. And the reason for it is because even though we are able to keep the runway for GMN extended for quite some time because the blockchain we chose to deploy on, there is a limit to that runway, right? And the idea behind these newsies, these PFPs, is to find a way to generate revenue for Good Morning News to extend the runway and keep us from having to go down the, the old Web2 route of relying on advertisement to keep our lights on. The idea being that if we can raise enough capital from our JPEGs that we can extend the runway for GMN quite some time and continue to deliver censorship-resistant, immutable news on the blockchain. Super fantastic. And 11Matic is super cheap right now. So if you want... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's another statement. <laughs> but, well, you can get 11Matic for what, like five bucks? So. Oh my gosh, yes. Pretty sure it's yeah. five bucks. And then that that's a refreshed news, right? So for five bucks, you get refreshed news every day. Every day. The court team likes to joke that it's a lifetime subscription for five bucks. And technically it is. It is a lifetime subscription as long as I'm alive. Right. And we have enough subscribers to, to justify the labor. Well, it's still a labor of love, but you still got to keep the lights on. We all have to acknowledge that. Um so I have to keep the lights on and, you know, the idea too, because right now we're paying our contributors a mere pittance, right? They're getting 250 paper tokens per contribution. You know, at the height of the bull market, that was decent money, right? That was about 10 bucks per contribution. So an hour's worth of work, 10 bucks, not bad. But certainly um, we would like to be able to reward our contributors far better than that, right? Because our writers work really, really hard. They deserve far more than that. And with your help by getting a PFP, we could certainly finally afford to pay our contributors what they're worth. Excellent. 
Well, we're all experimenting here, and these are all great opportunities. The same thing is true with the podcast we're talking on right now. This is an opportunity for Bankless DAO members, if they're interested at all in either writing copy, hosting, doing research, being whatever they want to do. There's all kinds of opportunities, and that's true throughout Bankless DAO. And no matter what your discipline, what your area of interest, your level of skill or expertise, there's a place for you to get involved, get plugged in, and work on things you're interested in. So well said, Drost. It's a it's a playground for intellectually curious people. And um, I might be a writer, but if I want to go try my hand at designing something, I just can go over to the Design Guild and uh, give it a shot. It's beyond amazing for people who like to play. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. What do you think, guys? Well done, sir. I think that's a good. All right. Well, thanks again for it. joining us. This is uh, publisher and Hero Canelli. Am I pronouncing your name right, Hero? Yes, sir. All right. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll, uh, in the show notes, we'll put the socials, we'll put links to GMN news, make sure people check out the uh, newsy PFP project. Super exciting, super affordable, great opportunity to, to get plugged in. And if nothing else, listen to GMN news and you'll get the top headlines with your morning coffee.